Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Hello, everybody. This is Comics Catch Up. This is the first episode of the new, a spinoff, you might say, of Every Story Ever, where we read comics suggested by you, the listeners of War Rocket Ajax, that we have missed in our combined, this is going to be tragic 50 years of reading comics oh my god (laughs) wait wait wait. how long have you been reading comics probably 25 years if not longer okay so i distinctly remember comics from when i was like six 
Like that would be eighty eight, which we, is when four twenty four Batman four twenty four came out. I mean, I so was, that's I was probably reading comics when I was five or six too. So we might be at sixty combined years. Yeah, we're at comics. sixty combined years of reading comics. Uh, I'm going to go walk into the sea now. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Hey, you may have noticed to change the subject a bit. You may have noticed that there was no intro music for this. That's because I don't have any. There's there's none. So if anybody wanted to create some intro music for Comic Ketchup or Comics Ketchup, I can't. I'm not sure which one it actually is. Comics Ketchup. Comics Ketchup. If anybody wants to create any intro music for this, we would be very grateful to have it. But on this first intro music free episode, Chris, you and I read the first half. Let's say of the Rick Remender, mostly Jerome Pena, although there are a handful of fill-in artists. Their run on Uncanny X Force, which started in 2010, we read up through issue 18, which is the the end of the Dark Angel saga. Matt, 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 come on, say it right. All right, here we go. I'm a little sick, so I don't know if I can pull it off, but here we go. The Dark Angel Saga. There we go. There we go. Thank you. Now, I don't think we made this clear when we first started. By the way, my name is Matt Wilson. <laughs> Chris Sims is here. Hi, everybody. We're old. We're, we're Death is coming. <laughs> the icy grip of death will find us soon. And I guess that's appropriate when we're talking about Uncanny X-Force, which is X-Men, but they kill people. But sometimes they don't kill people. Well, they argue about whether to kill people. Yeah. that We'll get to that, but uh, obviously, that was I think that was my favorite part of the whole part that we we read. But we didn't discuss this when we started. I don't think a single episode of this should be more than, say, 20 issues. Right. Right. So so we ended up splitting up Uncanny X-Force. We will do the second half in February. And I don't know that we're actually going to rank it this time, because Chris, I don't know if you agree with me on this, this feels like one big story. It does feel like one big story, but I also feel kind of like we could we could call this, like 1 through 18, we could kind of call the Dark Angel story. Oh, sorry, sorry. The Dark Angel Saga. Or at least the what, like Age of Apocalypse two or whatever you want to call it. Well, because I mean, everything sort of flows from like that that first arc with where uh, they find Baby Apocalypse to where Genesis comes back. He's like preteen like, Apocalypse. He, he's he yeah. I mean, look, Matt, we're old now, so everyone <laughs> everyone younger than us is a baby. <laughs> Fair. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like we could count one through eighteen as a single story if you do want to rank it that way. Because I, I feel I, like it I, kind of reaches with what happens at the end here, which we're going to spoil. So yes, it, that's another note. If if you haven't read these comics, we are going to spoil these completely in these episodes. So yeah, be warned. That's the idea. You were saying, uh, yeah, like I feel like it all 
we get to a natural end point with Warren, especially like the end of number 18 actually feels the most like a cliffhanger of anything we've seen so far. I think that's true. I, I, I want to see what 19 through 35 hold. Okay. Before we rank, because I think it is more than possible that we will just rank the Rick Remender uncanny X-Force run. All is one big thing. Okay. I, 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 think that is more than possible that we could do that. Um, All right, so I, I want to say, uh, in addition to Jerome Pena uh, doing art on this series, uh, Philip Pan draws several issues. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a handful of other fill-in artists throughout here. Uh, I'm not immediately remembering who those are. I I think I was led to believe that this was more of a consistent run, but there are, there are quite a few artists other than Jerome Opeña doing, doing art on this. I'm going to look and see who some of the other artists were, but I just, yeah, Opeña is, I think like prominently billed as the main artist and he's a, a frequent collaborator with Remender. I believe yeah. like Opeña is a, a fear agent guy, right? Yeah. Um, so, Okay. Esad Ribic, I think that's how you say his name, um, does the first part of the Deathlock story. Yes, and that's quite good. I, I really like, like I like the Deathlock story. Uh, Rafael Albuquerque does 5.1, which is the only point one issue. Uh, who's, he's also very good. Uh, he's I like Rafael Albuquerque good. a lot. Yeah. I, I, I do think that um, there is a consistency to the art that is very refreshing. It is all very stylistically similar, which is nice. Um, I mean, if I can be allowed to be mean for just a moment. Sure. I feel like Billy Tan is kind of the the great value to Roma Pena, right? Yeah, and I said I said Philip Tan earlier. I meant Billy Tan. Um, Mark Brooks also pencils a few issues of this during the Dark Angel saga. Probably the most... Unlike the other uh, artists on the book, but also th- the closest to what we're going to want to see from the Age of Apocalypse, which always has to look like it's 1996. That's true. Um, one one thing that does, I think, make the art very consistent is that Dean White is the colorist throughout. Yes. And it's it's got these kind of – whatever the opposite of glossy is, I guess Matt – um, it's got this very like unglossy look to the colors throughout everything. Everything is yeah, there's kind a, of almost like it's been gone over with sandpaper. There's a very consistent color palette. Like it is a book, and I really like this because I, I it's it's always a pain when comics all look the same, right? Like when there's a house style, when there's no real distinction between the mood of one comic and the next. Uh, but there is a consistent signature color palette in play here that I actually think is uh, does the book a lot of favors. I would agree. I, I think it it looks really good uh, mm-hmm. throughout, uh, no matter who's doing the penciling. And I feel like I went back and forth on how I felt about the costumes. You know the the sort of desaturated black and gray. Mm-hmm. We're a black ops team 
set of costumes. Mm-hmm. But I came around to really liking them. I think that they fit the tone of the book really well. They do, but it's... They fit the tone of the book, and I understand that this is fiction. And obviously, like, every decision is made based on what someone thinks is the best thing for the story, right? But it is pretty... Like, Wolverine definitely ran around killing people in his regular superhero clothes for a long time. That is true. I mean, sometimes he put on an eye patch, but most of the time he just was running around in his regular clothes killing people. Also, I, I, I find it interesting that, like, Wolverine's costume is, a, is different. Deadpool's costume is obviously different. Angel looks a little different. But Phantom X and Psylocke just look like Phantom X and Psylocke. Yeah, like, if Phantom X already has the, the, the matching color palette. Right? Like, yeah. Phantom X joins the team because he already goes with them. Also, Deadpool, another dude who always <laughs> walks around killing people in that same set of clothes. Deadpool is, like, is a hired murderer. <laughs> he, he doesn't need to change his outfit to go on murder missions. I like it when teams wear uniforms. So I'm not, I'm not against that. Like, I like it when the X-Men are all kind of, you know, the, the Frank Whiteley suits are a favorite of mine. Um, I like the Legion uh, in the 90s, because they had a very consistent style to all their costumes. But the weird thing is, these are all characters who are from other things and are currently in other things, with the exception of, I think this was primarily the Psylocke and Angel book, right? Or no, he was he was in X-Men at the time, wasn't he? I mean, I, I'm sure they both rotated in and out of X-Men books. I mean, if I was going to say one character in this was probably not showing up anywhere else, it's Phantom X. Yeah. And, who is just wearing his regular clothes. And to be quite honest, I feel like the character who gets the best and most interesting spotlight is Phantom X. Mm-hmm. Because of these characters, he's the one we had had the least of. Yeah. And there's a lot of kind of fleshing out his backstory here. Um, you know, a big, huge part of this overarching story that goes throughout these 19 issues, because there's a point one in here is the world where he was born and raised. So he's French, but he's from a fake France. And that is brought up numerous times in here. Uh, The, the idea that he has a bad French accent uh, because his France is fake and not because he has not because he's being written poorly is pretty funny. Uh yeah, I like that a lot. And I I really like Phantom X is almost like kind of a mystery character when he shows up in New X-Men. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more to him in Uncanny X-Force. Uh and I appreciate that a lot. He's also on a team with a lot of wild cards. Like, Deadpool's a wild card. Wolverine can be a bit of a wild card. Phantom X is the wildest card. Mm-hmm. Because the, that moment we mentioned earlier, where there's an argument about whether they can bring themselves to kill preteen apocalypse, Phantom X just does it. Yeah. He, he does not participate in the debate. He just does yeah. it. Because he's there to do a job. Yeah. Except. Except. But we'll get to that. I figure we're going to go through the plot a little bit. 
but I do kind of want to start off by saying what I what I liked and what I didn't about this run. Yeah, I think we could do movie fighter style, high points and low points. Yeah, I, I, that's but that's where I want to start with this. Okay, well let's start with high points then, Chris. What are your high points of Uncanny X Force? Y- you've you've introduced a lot of them, and that's kind of why I wanted to start here. But we always complain as readers, as, as, specifically as Grant Morrison guys, because because you and me were Morrison fans. It's there's no denying it. <laughs> yeah, like it's I I think arguably the the greatest living comic book writer. I, I I don't even think there like I think there's maybe a a a nice little top five that you can debate about, but like Morrison's got the hits, and I say that knowing that he also has like plenty of books that I don't personally care for. But our big complaint about so many so many post Morrison comics, like when Morrison leaves a book, is that nobody picks it up. Right? We talked about this with Guardians not too long ago, or um, Seven Soldiers not too long ago. Like, hey, here's Frankenstein. Here's the Manhattan Guardian. Here's all of this cool stuff that you can play with. And then nobody does anything with it. Like, Steve Orlando comes along, like, literally 10 years later and brings the Subway Pirates back. Or we get a short lived Frankenstein uh, series. X Men? Like, his Marvel stuff? Even Marvel Boy was a completely different character yeah. the first time he showed up after Marvel Boy. It all got trashed. The, the Morrison J.G. Jones. It, all of his X-Men stuff got trashed. Yeah. Uh, nothing Nothing lasted from X-Men, except for that one time that uh, Joss Whedon put, uh, Joss Whedon and John Cassidy put Cyclops in the jacket, which is probably the best thing they did in their run. Well, I... Because that's I, how you knew this shit was about to go down. That's a little unfair, because a few things hung around. The idea of secondary mutations stuck around and it after it all got erased some of it got brought back later by obvious fans Mm -hmm. and in that regard i'm talking about uh jason and jason aaron's wolverine and the x-men run true true yeah well you get a lot of good quentin choir stuff in that yes quentin choir is probably like the weirdly the most lasting thing to show up from that x-men run but so much of it was directly reversed Right? Yeah. Like, the mutant population explosion was completely reversed. The Magneto stuff was completely reversed, for good or ill, uh, as we have previously discussed. Um, but, if you look at Justice League, or JLA, no, or, or so the Superman stuff, nobody else did anything with Solaris the Tyrant's son, who's a great character. And, you know, only, only Tom Pyre and Rags Morales had the, uh, had the guts to deal with 853rd century stuff after that. True. But, uh, Rick Remender and Jerome Pena and the other assorted creators on this book, they, they pick it up. We get the world. We get a ton of Phantom X. Phantom X gets a huge amount of character development and like exploration in this. It is not a book that's afraid to go after the big high concepts. And to acknowledge things like, hey, yeah, the Age of Apocalypse is still out there. That's how Marvel Universe timelines exist. Like, it's you can go there if you want to. <laughs> Which yeah. I think is a really Im- important thing. Like, play with the toys. You know, if you read stuff I've written in Marvel, that's what we like to do. We like to play with the toys. And I think this book does a very, very good job of incorporating all that. And at the same time, kind of doing new and pretty interesting things with it. 
which it's not just a rehash. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think by virtue of the fact that this is a different covert team that even Cyclops doesn't know about, they can do different stuff. Which is weird because Cyclops also put together that first X-Force team, the Chrisios X-Force team. Uh-huh. That was Cyclops. But but I think – isn't there something said in the beginning of this that like Cyclops had determined that X-Force was not needed anymore? And he, he definitely didn't want a mutant death squad running around. He was more worried about sort of good PR, right? Yeah, so, bad optics. A guy who loves optics. Um, yep, you, got it, you caught it. But, he, you know, he, Wolverine decided independent of him they still needed to be around. Um, the world still needs X-Force. Here's what I like. You're talking about like kind of like broader Marvel universe wide continuity in the book. Mm-hmm. My top high point for the series so far is the internal continuity. How well things flow from arc to arc and how, consistently you know one action leads x action leads to y action leads to z action right yes like it's not just like there's a domino effect you know the like killing little apocalypse opens up a whole new avenue of problems that this team has to deal with and and on the uh, i'm i'm a little torn about this because on the one hand like I I really like how one story builds to the next on the other hand there's something you kind of expect from like what is essentially the X-Men A team Mm -hmm. where they're gonna like go on different missions you know but this at least these 19 issues are so intertwined and connected yeah, it, I mean, they essentially go on one mission, Yeah, and it's the Stop Apocalypse mission. I mean, ostensibly, the mission to go secure the world from the evil Avengers Deathlocks is a separate mission, but it ends up tying back into the Apocalypse stuff. Yeah. So even when it seems like they're going on a different mission, it's all one big story. And I think I mostly like that. It's it's not necessarily what I expect from this kind of book, but I really appreciate how one payoff leads to a bigger payoff later, you know. And yes. and Remender is seeding the stuff where Angel is become going to become Archangel is going to become Apocalypse from issue one. Yeah, there's there's definitely a classic Marvel Universe style serialized storytelling aspect to this book that I think is a thing that both of us like in comics a lot. Um, other high points. I, we've talked, we discussed the art. I think the art matches the tone of the book really well. And I think the book is really good at balancing what could be a very dour, dark, gritty tone with some humor. It's, it's it- not, overbearingly dark it takes an interesting path to its humor in that uh deadpool tells jokes like actual like actually tells 
you know, what did the what did the what did the uh, big tomato say to the little tomato when it kept falling behind? <laughs> Catch up. Yeah. You know, he like tells jokes. He has like a joke book. All right, Chris, what have we got for low points? Uh, Matt, would it surprise you to find out that I wasn't that into this book? I'd, I I don't know. Probably not. It's it's not exactly what I would consider to be your tip top jam. It didn't. It didn't click with me. And for a while, I thought maybe that was down to the fact that I knew about Genesis. Right? Like we we went in knowing. Oh, like the biggest twist in this book, which is that, you know, you think Phantom X kills the guy, but it's all a misdirect. You think Phantom X kills the kid, but it's all a misdirect. Uh, And then, you know, the baby apocalypse comes back and he's Genesis, which is which is a cool idea. I really like the the good apocalypse's name is Genesis. That's very funny to me. A good comic is a good comic regardless of spoilers, right? Like spoilers don't really exist. Like, like yes, they do, and it's it sucks to like find out a plot twist is happening, but a well constructed story is still enjoyable even if you know all of the beats. It's in the execution, but this it this book just didn't grab me. It's weird in a lot of ways, and I think it's weird in a lot of ways that Rick Remender's writing, which I do generally enjoy, uh, is. It has all of his quirks, right? And it has all a lot of weird, like, indie comics quirks to it, too. Um, towards the end of the, the run, there's a part where, like, Remender pretty clearly finds out from editorial that he can say son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. And then it's every third page. It's, it, it's so overused in yeah. the Dark Angel saga. Yeah. It's bonkers, and everybody says it. Everybody has the same voice in this book. There's very little, uh, there's very little deviation in how people talk to each other, which that's, is weird. That's because my these number, are very different characters. That's my number one low point: is dialogue. Yeah, because Wolverine doesn't talk like Wolverine. He he's like weirdly verbose. And he's using like SAT words, uh-huh. which the the Wolverine voice in my head doesn't talk like that. He talks, but I think he talks more like Wolverine than, I mean, you know, than Betsy talks like Betsy, you know? I didn't like mind Psylocke, Psylocke's dialogue hugely. It, it felt to me like... It felt to me like everybody was – like their melodrama meter was turned up a notch or two. Mm-hmm. And for some characters, that works. Weirdly, I feel like that works fine for Psylocke. It doesn't mm-hmm. work as well for me with Wolverine calling people a cur. You cur? Yeah, that was weird. I remember that one stuck out to me too. Uh, also, at one point, like during the Age of Apocalypse saga, uh, Victor Creed – calls uh Wolverine a frail, which is like a weird Claremont word, but it's not like a, like it's so weirdly out of context there. Um and and I, I know I just praised the tone a second ago, so this might be me flip flopping, but I, I think the stuff you're talking about with Deadpool sort of breaks the tone of the book. Mm-hmm. Like 
Deadpool's constant joking. There are times when I'm like, do we need this right now? <laughs> I, I yeah. will say it, it does make the moments where Deadpool uh, stops joking more impactful. Yeah, but that's kind of what I wanted more of in this book. Like, the I think the best Deadpool moment in the comic, we can both agree, is when – you know, they're talking about how Deadpool's a mercenary and Deadpool doesn't care about anything except money. And he goes, yeah, well, I never killed a kid. I like that. Which is a very serious moment for Deadpool. And yeah, really good. I also liked it when they were in the world. And I forget the name of the guy who was, like, operating the world. Ultimo? Is that Ultimo? Ultimo. Um, When he's kind of, like, got Deadpool in his, you know... He's he's got him sort of mesmerized into seeing him as a father. Oh, no, father. You're father. talking about father. You're talking about father. Yeah. Yes. And and he's like convincing Deadpool that he is like a father figure to him. Mm-hmm. And then Deadpool just kind of snaps out of it. Yeah. Or or reveals that he was never really in his thrall to begin with. And he just like kills the guy and saves his friends. Yes. I appreciated that Deadpool moment. That was a really good moment too. The, the, weirdly enough, I think the strongest stuff in this was with the Deathlocks and Father. I thought that stuff was actually like pretty, pretty enjoyable and, and I, on point. I really like this version of Deathlock, who yeah. let his psychopath brain take over at one point. Yeah, I think this Deathlock is a Jason Aaron creation. Yeah, because it's the Deathlock who, instead of being, uh, you know, the the man controls the murderous computer the computer that's you know the, you know michael collins or luther manning gets control of the uh the terminator computer in his brain it's that the computer realizes that his host is a you know serial murderer and horrible person and is like well that's no we're not going to do that yeah um I, I like that a lot too um yeah i just the the those deadpool moments are few and far between and for the yeah. most part, he's used as just like this weird comic relief, but instead he just feels like a character who doesn't belong in places, you know? Yeah. And even when even when he's not joking, I feel like so much of the dialogue is fundamentally interchangeable from Warren, from Betsy, from Phantom X, from uh from Wolverine even like a lot of it could be anybody talking. There's no, there's not a lot of, of distinction in what's happening. Uh, the other thing is, Hey, do you know what, um, Phantom X's power is? Oh, he can fool people, uh, with illusions. Yeah. He can, he can misdirect people. So like every time something happens in this comic, it's not happening. Not every time, but very often. As soon as you see a character die, you know it's a Fandom X misdirection. Yeah, and it happens in every issue. If not every issue, it happens very I, often. I think it happens more early on than it does later. And there's a pretty cool moment late in what we read where it's revealed that Angel and his horsemen – aren't fooled by it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it it's it is used a lot. 
Yeah. Particularly in the first, say, two arcs. Yeah. Which, you know, you have to use everybody's power in the first couple arcs to to get everybody used to it. But man, it's every time something like shocking and unexpected happens, it's like, oh, nope, JK. <laughs> Fandomix's codename should be JK in this book. <laughs> All right, I think that's high points and low points. Are there? Uh, I have I have one last low point. Okay. Uh, this book's slow. When it's good, it's got really good stuff. But this book is it, it moves much slower than I would have liked. And I say that as someone who read it all in one go. I read eighteen issues in one go, and I felt like it was pretty drawn out. Part of that is because it's all kind of telling a single story. But I can't imagine reading this monthly or or bi-monthly or however it was coming out at the time, like, you know, every other week, and finding it to be moving at a satisfying pace. Uh, that's something I, I think I would say is more, again, more of a thing in the early going than in the later going. I found myself having to kind of push myself through at the start also. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that first, it takes them what five issues to kill little apocalypse four or five. Yeah. Four or five. That could have been done in one. Yeah. That should have been the first issue. Uh, that could have been done in one issue. Um, but once it gets to the dark angel saga, um, (laughs) I feel like it, it does ramp up. It, it's, I was pushing myself from issue to issue a lot faster once it got to that point in the story. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I do think that it a lot of really good stuff happens in the Dark Angel saga. Like specifically, I really like that Warren. Like as when Warren becomes Apocalypse, he's you know polite. Like Reminder does a really good job of not writing him as a uh, like a a you know, Republic serial villain. Right. Like he's, I was, I was he's about like, to say the same thing. Yeah. He, he's like, Hey, look, I just, you know, I'm just going to help evolution. There's, there's, you know, there's no need for us to fight. I still like you guys, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Like I, I thought that was pulled off pretty well. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've been through most of the plot in talking about our high points and low points and just our general thoughts. Um, the only thing we mm-hmm. haven't really talked about is the Age of Apocalypse that they go to. Um, like, dark... Okay, here's one thing. The team is kind of dumb. <laughs> yes. yes. They, they yes. recruit Dark Beast. They break Dark Beast out dark of beast. prison. Out of prison, so he can help them get to the Age of Apocalypse universe, so they can prevent... Warren from becoming Apocalypse. And then they're surprised when he double-crosses them. His name is Dark Beast. Yeah. Yeah. From, from, the, from the Dark Universe. From Universal Pictures' Dark Universe. He's from Universal Pictures' Dark Universe, and he's Dark Beast. Of course he was going to steal the Life Seed and go back to their also, universe and make sure that Warren becomes Apocalypse. I understand that, like, Dark Beast has one, he has a life seed in his laboratory back in the Age of Apocalypse, but there's so many, so many Marvel universes. 
<laughs> like, is that the one you really have to go to? <laughs> like, you have to go to, like, just go get Machine Man. And be like, hey, Machine Man, can you help us find the life seed? And he'll be like, sure. And then you go to the zombie verse or whatever. A place that is less dangerous than the Age of Apocalypse. Also, the whole thing where with the twist leading up to Wolverine being Apocalypse, that's a cool idea, but is very weirdly set up when everybody's like, we lost Wolverine 10 years ago. You know, it's 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 very weird. Also, the idea that the Age of Apocalypse happened in the nineties. Like it was it was like the events of that story were ten years ago. I think is very funny. Yeah, that is pretty funny. I, I another thing that is kind of funny about the Age of Apocalypse stuff is that you talk about this series moving slow. Uh Wolverine goes from finding out that he has this alternate universe daughter <laughs> to her being dead in about twelve pages. Yeah, she is. Uh, she is. Uh, what's her name? Kiriko. She does not her last name long. Is Cannon fodder is her name. <laughs> That's her, her special code name. Yeah, it's not. Uh, th- there's a lot of weird stuff in that Age of Apocalypse story, but there's a lot of good ideas. I like that th- version of Gene a lot. That version of Gene is pretty cool. Like the whole um, conversation. Like you might consider this to be a slow moving part of the book. But the whole conversation she has with Wolverine about, you know, their own realities, I really enjoyed. I liked that part a lot. And we got to know a lot yeah. about that character really fast. Yes. Uh, the one, one last thing, I guess, to mention is the 5.1 issue with Lady Deathstrike, which is kind of a one-off story, which has one of my favorite sequences in the whole the whole series that we've read so far, which is a, a stealth mission to utopia. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. I liked that a bunch that I I kept waiting for that stuff to come back and it never, it it doesn't in the first 18 issues, it doesn't in the next year's worth of comics. So I assume we're eventually going to get more of that because I really do like the idea of the Marauders as, I, I mean, you know, not to not not to make it sound like it's a way more politically charged comic than it is because it's not. But the Marauders are suicide bombers who can just because they're cyborgs upload their consciousness and then go blow up their bodies. I think is like a really cool Marvel Universe idea, and like I really I really was looking forward to seeing more of that, and it doesn't happen in these issues. That that'll be a complaint for for the next eighteen if we uh. If if it doesn't, but you know, yeah, and I don't know. This story felt pretty self contained. Like, Psylocke's killed those Reavers, and and then that was it. I, but I think that's that's a weird thing too. Because did you read five point one after five, or did you save it? Uh, I read it right after five. Yeah, yeah, I read it in. We read these on Marvel Unlimited, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I just followed the reading order that they had there. But I feel like doing that is five point one makes it maybe seem like this book is going to be going into a bunch of different weird spaces. Like, you know, baby apocalypse is the first thing. And then we've got the, the Marauders and, and lady Deathstrike showing up and trying to blow up utopia. Then we've got, so, you know, the death locks show up, but then it all ends up being this one big apocalypse story, which yeah. is, it has its, its benefits and drawbacks, I think. 
Okay, I I think we've covered everything, more or yeah. less. I think so. Um, I would note that your conclusion, Chris, that one through eighteen is basically one story, and then nineteen through thirty-five is maybe going to be a second story. That is backed up by the fact that issue nineteen gets a new logo. Like mm, okay, like. It seems to be a pretty distinct change uh, between issues 18 and 19. So it is more than likely that we will be ranking these as two separate stories. But I want to hold off and make sure that we're doing this. You know, that that if we, if we can rank this as one big story, we'll do that. Um, but also the art team again changes with issue nineteen. We've got Robbie Rodriguez on pencils for issue nineteen. Oh, that should be really good. Yeah. Uh, I have I have one last. I don't want everybody to think that I'm negative or that I, I really you know loathed reading this comic because I, I thought it was you know fine. I love that Genesis's origin is that uh, Phantom X takes him and puts him in the world and gives him Superman's origin. <laughs> like when we see like when when Phantom X goes in the world to get uh, Genesis out, he's like hanging out with Mom and Pa Kent on a farm. That that shit's great, and I you know it's also great. Like that's a good kind of like oh sort of moment. Yeah, because there's that whole conversation between Phantom X and Deathlock, where Deathlock is saying like you should just destroy the world. Because it's gonna get like any weapon. The world being the secret weapon plus uh, facility. This, if you don't know about that, that might uh, we might have sounded like bonkers people. Yeah, for the past half hour. It, yeah, it's it's the home of weapon plus. But but Deathlock very rightly says you should destroy anything that can be turned into essentially a planet destroying weapon. And Phantom X just says, nope, I can't do it. It's where I was born. But he has other reasons that he's not revealing right there. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Also, Phantom X, like, like solving the debate at the beginning uh, by by doing both options, right? They, they, they find Apocalypse as a child, and the debate is, do we take him and, and just, you know, raise him and not have him you know, not teach him to be Apocalypse? Or do we kill him now? And Phantom X kills him, or appears to, at least. It's a misdirect. Uh, and then also takes him and raises him as Superman. Yeah. <laughs> so he he weirdly does both sides of the debate, and everybody regrets killing him. And I think that's a really... That, that's a really All the Genesis stuff is really everybody good. Everybody but Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, everybody Wolverine. Wolverine has no regrets. Yeah. He's got a no regrets tattoo on his forearm. Okay, so that's going to do it for our first comic catch-up. This one will end with no ranking, because I want to see if Uncanny X-Force is all one big story, or we're going to rank it as the Apocalypse story and everything else. So come back in February for comic catch-up number two, where we'll be reading Uncanny X-Force numbers 19 through 35, which also includes a handful of point one issues. So I think it's roughly the same number of issues as 
we read uh, in this batch. And uh, we'll come back, talk about those issues, and rank them. Then, thank you for enabling Comics Catch-Up to happen. That happened because of Patreon. If you would like to make sure that this series of minisodes every month keeps happening, head over to patreon.com slash warrocketajax and kick in as little as $1 a month to ensure that that happens. And so we're going to go ahead and do the rest of X-Force now, right? For, the, for our next episode? Rest of, X, rest of X-Force for our next episode, yes. And then uh, are we going to do another poll we'll do, to find out what we're doing after we'll that? do another poll uh, come the March Comics Catch-Up episode. Alrighty. So if anybody has suggestions for stuff we should be reading for upcoming episodes, uh, let us know, and we'll include those in that poll. Chris, how, how do you how did you like this first episode of Catching Up? I enjoyed it. I like Catching Up. You know that. Me too. And I look. I know a lot of people suggested Uncanny X Force because it's one of their favorite books. And I hope we didn't break it over the coals too hard for you. Um, I think one thing that we're going to find as we do this show is reading something. 10-ish years later, we might have a slightly different reaction to it. Like, one thing I didn't mention when we were talking about this, some of the stuff in here comes off as a little dated. Yeah. A little instantly dated. A lot of Deadpool jokes. Um, So, you know, if this is not the reaction you wanted to hear from us, sorry. I think I liked the book more than Chris. And I think it's going to rank reasonably well. Uh, when we get done with it, but it does have some problems. Yeah, I I think that's kind of why I wanted to start with low points so that we could end on a high note, which I think we did. Uh, all the Genesis stuff, pretty top notch. I can see why people like that. Uh, Matt, this has been fun. I look forward to catching up with you again. Yeah, Chris, let's catch up soon. Yeah, hey, that's a good one. This has been a Kalitas Media production.